Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for everyone who's here. And we pray for those who aren't here. Uh, thank you for people who are on Zoom. Just fun to see their names, uh, people that we love that are all over the place, all over the country. And we just pray, Father, that your spirit would challenge us, encourage us, and you'd be glorified. We welcome your presence. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So sorry about last week. I got home from vacation and I was real excited about seeing everybody and I got slain. And uh, you can still hear I'm a little bit, I'm on, I'm better, but I have a bunch of residual kind of feel like I got beat up really bad. And then I got an Elmer's glue injection into my nasal cavities. But anyway, but besides that, I'm great. Uh, It's really good to be back. It's fun to worship with you guys and you know, sing about the Waymaker and God working in our midst, and then just look around this room. I get really emotional. Um, I'm going to be baptizing Dom here in a minute. And uh, what an amazing, yeah, you can clap. You can. Yeah. Uh, just that God is regularly doing miracles, just miracles. Um, so, and from my perspective, you know, healings are nice and prophecies are nice and we all like dreams and would like to have an angel visit us at some point. But all of that is really pretty inconsequential next to God redeeming a life. I think in our immaturity, we're like, oh, man, if God were really moving, we'd be seeing all kinds of healings. Uh, I kind of I'm over that. I, I like healings and all that, but I I would much prefer a life transformed, um, a person finding joy and peace and So that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about. Fruits of the kingdom. We all, probably everybody in here knows the Lord's Prayer, because whether you're a real, for real Christian or just a Christer, that's a Christmas and Easter Christian, um, you know the Lord's Prayer. um, And uh, we pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. What in the world does that even mean? We, we say all these lofty things we've never even thought about before. What would it mean if God's kingdom actually came to earth? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Um, well, I was kind of wrestling with that this morning and uh, kind of obscure, overlooked scripture passage popped into my mind. God's like, well, here's precisely exactly what the kingdom of God looks like. So you have a lot of people who call themselves Christians. you got a lot of churches that say they're Christian. Uh, a Christian church is supposed to be a little outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what a church is. has nothing to do with the architecture. Uh, has nothing to do with the pipe organ or the marble or the granite or the carved ornate, you know, <laughs> and carved mahogany, uh, whatever the baptismal font, the gold embossed, nothing. The choir size, the Bible tells us what the kingdom of God looks like. And let me, I'll just jump ahead to that slide. Romans 14, 17. This is the kingdom of God. Here it is. It's not eating and drinking. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. You know, don't eat this at this time and this feast and this festival and this day and this. It's not eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
If you've got that, you're in the kingdom, you're for real, you're a real Christian. If you're in a church that has that, you're in a real church. If you're not, you're not. So I'm going to be looking at that. These are, I think these are the fruits that we should be looking for. And uh, whether it's in an individual, our, our life, am I for real? Our church, is our church for real? When we go home to our home church, is our home church for real? A lot of churches all over the place, different names, same book, same Jesus. Uh, some are called Pentecostal, some are called Baptist, some are called Lutheran. Uh, a lot of churches with those names have no life, but a lot of churches them have life. Churches with those names have life, but it's because they're following the word, they're following Christ, and they've tapped into the reality. What does this mean? What is righteousness? What is righteousness as one of the signs of the kingdom? Righteousness basically means rightness. That's all it means. It's, it's these Christianese words that we get confused about. Are you right? When God looks at you, he, does he say, this person is right in my eyes? People say, you can never be right. You can only be trying. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It says this is the kingdom of God, that a person is right with God. They're right with themselves. They're right with others, which means that God has set up a way that he wants us to live. And we are learning how to stay in bounds and we're having fun doing it. Um, that's rightness. It just means I'm not out of bounds um, in terms of the clear teachings of scripture. All these young 20-somethings in front of me right here. My sexuality is in check. I'm not going to look at anybody. Is in check. My, my other passions are in check. My God-given passions are submitted to Christ's rule and reign. I don't have hatred in my heart for anybody in the entire universe, including God or anybody else, or the, even the people that hurt me deeply. God has taught me how to resolve all those issues. So I'm at peace with him. I'm, I'm right. That's the kingdom of God. How does that happen? We'll get into that in a minute. Peace. When you're right, you're at peace. And uh, this is where, you know, I step on some toes. I know what depression is. I, you know, I, I know what neuroses is. I, I know what it's like not to have peace. I know what compulsions are, sinful compulsions and sinful addictions. Um, well, that's not having peace. So when you're right, you're at peace. Peace means God has nothing against me. I'm in a bunch of relationships that are flowing well. Uh, even my enemies don't keep me up at night. That I have tranquility of soul because of, first of all, my relationship with God, but then it's working itself out in the human realm as well. And joy. What is joy? A great definition of joy. Sorry, I'm getting bit by mosquitoes up here, so I'm going to have to do some scratching. Um, <laughs> so what is joy? Somebody once said that joy is peace dancing. Pretty good definition, isn't it? So uh, any of you guys feel joy when you're worshiping just now? Let me see your hands. So oh, four and a half, five, six. No, just kidding. Uh, I, I, I get so overwhelmed when sometimes those words, I think about the reality of those things in my life that I get tears, you know, I just get overwhelmed with what God has done in me and the people around me. These are marks of the kingdom of God. You know, you're right. You know, you're at peace with God and you're starting to become more and more at peace with others. I look at virtually everybody in this room. I don't know anybody in this room that I'm not at peace with. If you're not at peace with me, then that's on you. But I don't know about any problem that I got going this direction with anybody. Um, that's the way the kingdom of God's supposed to be. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's how you know you got it. 
That's how you know you're not just a priester or a pew warmer or a Christian by name only. So uh, I was just meditating on all of this. Matthew 24, 24, I quote this often. Jesus says, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. So if possible to mislead even the elect or the chosen ones or the truly saved. There's churches, Jesus said, false Christ and false prophets will arise. Um, in other parts of scripture, he says, deceive many, which means there are churches and there are schools and there are teachers and professors and authors in the Christian section of the bookstore, and they're deceiving people. And they're saying, I'm a Christian. Uh, and sometimes even saying, I can do supernatural things that proves that I'm a Christian. And Jesus says that they're false. So how do we know who's real? How do we know who's false? By the fruit. What's the fruit? Rightness. What kind of rightness? Moral, spiritual rightness. You're staying in bounds, what the scripture says. Um, and you're not gritting your teeth trying to make God happy. He does a miracle inside of you and makes it all possible. So it's easy. It's kind of effortless. Like I couldn't bench 400 pounds to save my life right now. Never could. I only got 300 ever in my life. But now if I had somebody, you know, a couple uh, world-class weightlifters on either side of me on a really long bar, it wouldn't be much of a problem. And so Following Christ is impossible, but when you're saved, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's like having that world-class weightlifter inside of you who does all the heavy lifting for you. So it's not only doable, it actually is fun. And that's why it says here, it's not just righteousness, peace, and joy, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because if you're truly saved, you've received the the endowment of the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you all kinds of abilities that you didn't have before. You can understand scripture. Do you remember how confusing scripture was before you received the Holy Spirit? He gives you desire to do good, not to earn anything, just to do good. Why? Because God's made you good. And then he gives you the power to do it. And he gives you supernatural gifts. There's all sorts of things you get from the Holy Spirit, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I was meditating on all of this because I've been thinking about Watching the church in our culture, the quote-unquote Bible-believing, born-again church, um, from my vantage point, it's just really getting ugly. And some of the biggest churches are imploding, and a lot of the biggest pastors are falling. Um, I'm watching a lot of young people who said they were born-again Bible-believing Christians completely wash out. And I know a lot of your friends, they're breaking your heart because they grew up in church. It's like, what has happened to them? And now they're going to churches that call themselves Bible-believing and born again. How do we determine the truth from the false? Well, the litmus test. Is there rightness, righteousness among the individuals in that church? Is there real peace? Um, and is there that real supernatural kind of otherworldly exuberance that comes from starting to experience the reality of God in your midst. And if you ask them why, it's, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. So uh, 
I was going to bring in a couple examples, and I I was talking with Dom yesterday about what I was going to say, but I don't I don't want this to go on and on. I was just thinking of um, an individual in recent years, and he uh, went to the Andaman Islands to try to bring the gospel to a one of the most completely unreached people groups on planet Earth. I think this was in 2017, maybe 2018, but uh, he was he was uh, martyred. He was uh, shot through there. It was almost as soon as, as soon as he made contact. And a lot of Christians in the church, I heard saying, that was so foolish. What did he think he was doing? He should have just left him alone and blah, 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 blah. And it just made me think, wow, how the church has morphed and changed from what it used to be because in the 1950s there was a young there was a group maybe you guys saw the end of the spear movie uh jim elliott nate saint and roger udarian and all them they went to the wild donnie and they were speared to death and they were heroes in the church and they launched this big missions movement and everybody was all excited and even the world was saying what an amazing bunch of young men and now even the church is is uh, just leave those indigenous people alone. Don't you don't you understand? You can bring diseases there, and you're it's cultural imperialism and all from born again people. I'm like, what is what has happened to us? And because we've gotten drunk on all these philosophies of the world, the church has lost its power, and we're not experiencing rightness in the church. The church is, you know. And again, I'm always pulling up live files because I'm talking to my own children. I'm talking to people I disciple and. I never know where I'm going to get a call from. People are telling me about situations that they're facing in the church of immorality, um, just you know, bitterness and division in the church, et cetera, uh, psychological disorders, people defending psychological disorders in the church uh, because we don't have the power. We don't have the reality of God anymore to deal with our problems, to deliver us from sin, to, to heal our impossible situations, much less bring new life to the completely broken because there's, there's the false, and it takes over, but there is the real, there is the true. So I was, I was thinking through this, what the church was in the really good times and what it is right now, and then we have to make sure we are among those that say, wait a minute, if it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, am I right? Do I know that before God? Like, and I, I did a check on myself. God, am I right before you? Um, am I walking right? Like the psalmist does this all the time. He says, test me and examine me, Lord. Did you do that this morning? God, I know of nothing that's out of step that, with your written revelation to me. I'm walking in purity. I'm walking at peace. I've forgiven everybody I know of. I'm surrendered to you. You're Lord of my life, etc." So uh, a couple of scriptures that started me off on this journey actually started with, the, with this Timothy one. He, uh, Paul tells Timothy, who was, these were, uh, this was probably Paul's very last letter that he ever wrote. And he's trying to pass on all the good stuff to his protege, Timothy, who he left in Ephesus to establish churches. He says, realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Are we in the last days? Absolutely, we are. The last days started when Jesus rose from the dead. We're in the last days. He says, difficult times will come. Well, gee, what's going to happen, Paul? Within the church, men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
That is one of the biggest trends in the church right now. Every single one of these is a sermon. I got to like rein it in. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Oh, let's see all those happy hands. How many of you guys have been through a church split, seen a church split, saw your parents go through a church split? I mean, if you've been in the church for a while, you've been through a church split. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips about self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Right now within the church, that's this whole issue. Don't tell me to change. I want to express my sexuality in this way. That's how I derive pleasure. So I think God needs to bend. I think the denomination needs to bend. I think historic Christianity needs to bend. Um, those are old-fashioned morals. I want to follow my pleasures. Haters uh, of good, treacherous, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, which basically means they have a religion. They have a religion. It says, but they've denied its power. They've denied it. There's no power. There's no power when you go to church. There's no life transformation. There's no answers to prayer. There's just me showing up, trying to justify, trying to hold fast to who I am, what I am, defend my bad habits and my impossible personality instead of saying, God, transform me, change me. But it says, uh, um, denying its power avoids this menaces. So how do we make sure that we are not in this group? He said, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Where are they? Not in Manhattan, of course. They're in that bad town, Lawrence. That's where they are. They're not in Manhattan. There's no deceivers deceiving. They're all in that liberal town of Lawrence. All the, no, they're, they're in every town. Uh, deceiving, being deceived. You, Timothy, continue in the things you've learned, can learn to become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, as in Paul, that from, and, and his mother and his grandmother, too. He had a very godly mother and grandmother. From childhood, you've known the sacred writings. How are we going to ferret all this out? Get your nose in the word. And if you're in a church where the leadership seems to indicate that you're not smart enough or spiritual enough or whatever, you just need to submit to the leadership, get the heck out of that church. Run. Because God gave you a brain. God gave you a spirit. He wants you to seek him. And you should always be in a church that encourages you to seek the Lord for yourself in his word. But he said, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures inspired by God. That's why we push this so hard in this church. I would assume harder than any church you've ever been in. Because this is, this is not a game. Religion is not a nice little ornament we put on a tree. This is the whole thing. This is the spiritual battle. It's a battle for our souls. God's given us a book. We can figure this thing out. How do you know you're getting it right? Rightness. Peace and joy. You're living it. You're, they're not just platitudes. They're not just words. Now, some of you are like, yeah, but I fall off the bike and, and I have bad days. Well, but you're on the bike sometimes, which means you're starting to get it, which means you're tapped into the good stuff, which means you're probably on the right track. Uh, actually, if you're tasting it, you're experiencing it, you are on the right track. You just have not learned how to stay on that bicycle, which over time you will. But it's the word. Jesus said almost the very, very similar thing 
in Matthew 7. Um, in Matthew 7, he says, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Is he just talking about heathen, atheist, pagans out there that have no regard for God? No, he's, he's usually addressing people that are monotheists and they believe in scripture. What he's saying is that even among those people, there's only a few people that are going to get it right. And the vast majority of them who are scripture following God, believing people are going to be getting it wrong. They're not going to be experiencing rightness, peace, and joy in the Holy spirit. They're going to be in church, but they're not going to be in a church where there's power and life transformation. He says, enter by the narrow gate. This is the sermon on the Mount, which second project after you get done with James, you should memorize the sermon on the Mount. Jesus's longest sermon. I can't memorize a whole sermon you can tell me every line of Star Wars 1 through 17, every line from Friends seasons 1 through 47, you, all your favorite movies, every Nacho Libre quote, don't tell me you can't memorize a sermon of Jesus. So just buckle down and do it. Um, and you'll get a lot more benefit from it than Nacho Libre, I guarantee. Um, so then Jesus says exactly what Paul said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruit. What's the fruit? Brightness, peace, and joy. In the church where God is moving, someone is like, I was an abuser. I'm no longer an abuser. I was an addict. I'm no longer an addict. I was full of hate. I am free from hate. I was a, a, a deviant. I'm no longer a deviant. I was a thief. I'm no longer. I am free. So rightness, peace, and joy. And people are going to be worshiping and they're going to be excited about their faith and their religion because they've tapped into the right stuff. But he said, in these false churches, you're going to know by the fruits in the place. Is there peace? Is there joy? Is there rightness? Which ultimately is summarized in the word love. He said, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. If you're a real believer, you love people. If you're in a community of real believers, one of the first things that should strike an outsider when they walk in is, wow, these people really love each other. They get along. They're hanging out with each other. They're in one another's houses. They pray for each other. They pay each other's bills. And I get to see a lot more. I'm like, <laughs> for me, I'm like, of course I'm saying, I think, I think we got some good stuff going on here. I watch you guys sneak around and do just such wonderful things for each other. It's so much fun to see. But he says, you'll know the false ones because the fruit they're producing. So I'm not going to read all that. You can go, as you're memorizing it, you can go get all those details. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Basically, Jesus is saying here, not necessarily. You can say it just like I can say I'm president of the United States. Did you know I'm president of the United States? Like, no, you're not. You're full of it. You're not president of anything. I can say it. I can say Jesus is Lord. But if he's not Lord, I'm not saved. Well, how do I know if he is Lord? Because if he is Lord, the miracles happen in my heart. And I'm starting to walk right. And I'm starting to experience peace. And I'm starting to experience joy in my life. But he said, not everyone's going to say who says to me, Lord, Lord, but he says, he who does. That means that miracles happen in their heart through the Holy Spirit. 
And then the attendant emotions of peace and joy are going to start being experienced more and more in this person's life. So let's see what else do I have here? Oh, and then Paul said, it's the scripture. Jesus said, it's my words. Because of course, Jesus's words are scripture. He says, if you hear these words and you act on them, you're like a wise person. If you hear these words, you don't act on them. You're a fool. So being in a church with a cross on it, calling yourself a Christian, saying Jesus is Lord, singing amazing grace means very little if the words don't have the proper meaning assigned to them. Jesus is Lord means he's the boss. Jesus is my savior means he's my sin bearer. So uh, let's see. Second Timothy 3, already went over that one. Romans 14, 17, that's where we started. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Are you a for real Christian? Are you born again? Are you experiencing increasing righteousness, peace, and joy? I didn't say, are you perfect? The apostle Paul said he wasn't perfect. He said, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize. But even this morning, I said, God, as far as I know, I'm right with you. God, I was praying this this morning. I have peace. I know what it's like to be, I mean, oppressed. I have peace. Uh, in, in the early days of my surrender to the Lord, I had days that were peaceful and days that weren't because I was trying to get it sorted out. And even this morning, just experiencing such a deep joy worshiping God with you guys. I'm not just saying that. I mean, it is like otherworldly joy. Um, this, is, this is the mark of the kingdom of God. Now, when we invite somebody into the kingdom of God, we share the gospel with them, and then we, we tell them, you're a sinner. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that you are not at peace with God? Why? Because you're not right, and that's why you don't have peace, and that's why you don't have joy. So any unsaved person you know, you're not at peace. You're not at peace with God, and I guarantee you've got a lot of problems with people in your life. You're, you don't have righteousness, peace, and joy. Why don't you have peace? Because you're not right. No, it's them. I'm right. They're just a bunch of jerks. No, you're wrong. We're, get yourself fixed, and then, and then we can start praying for the other folks. Get yourself fixed. You have hatred. You've hurt people. You have issues to settle with God. Righteousness. So figure out how to become, you know, really come to peace with God. And that's through saying, God, I have sinned, but I believe that Christ died for me. He is my sin bearer, and I want him to take all of my sin. But it's also saying Jesus is now going to be my Lord. I'm going to listen to what he said. I'm going to study your word. And I'm going to follow. And I mean business with, with, with serious. I never say try my best because I have to admit this. I don't know that anybody ever tries their best that much. But except a woman giving birth. But aside from that. But I'm going to give it a serious attempt. I'm going to press. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to give you serious time. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to start changing my life. I'm going to let you be Savior. Let you be Lord of my life. Then we start experiencing that peace with God, and then it starts moving out in the other areas of our life. And then we start experiencing the emotion of peace and then the emotion of joy. And pretty soon that characterizes our life. So we take outsiders and say, hey, come on in. The water's great. Rightness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um. We give them that message, and when it is done right in a place where God is moving, there's power in it, the power to transform their life. 
There's a lot of people saying they're preaching the gospel right now. There was a young lady in our church. I think she's on Zoom. She went and asked the pastor who she grew up with, what is the gospel? He couldn't even articulate what it was. It is, you're a sinner. Jesus died for your sin and then rose again. And you need to forsake your old life and follow him with a whole heart and receive his Holy Spirit so you have the power to do it. That's the gospel. And this pastor couldn't even articulate that. In a lot of churches, they don't even know what the gospel is anymore. Paul said, the real gospel, he said, I'm not ashamed of, ashamed of it because it is power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. In it, the rightness of God is revealed. How are we made right? The gospel. The gospel shows us how to, not bright gritting your teeth and trying. You know, it's, it's he has to fix you first. He has to heal your soul. So, um, here in a minute, I have a visual aid. My visual aid is Dom, and Dom's going to give you his testimony because um, we've talked this through, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but um, when I met Dom, we brought him into the discipleship house, and he had a lot of problems and addictions and just brokenness, but he was sure he was saved. He was sure he was saved because he went off to whatever, a church or a camp or something, and said a magic prayer, and he knew he was in. It just wasn't working very well. Um, and uh, he took a few more lumps, and then he finally went, oh, Eureka, I was missing something. And I think that's the case with so many people. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? They're sure that they're in. They're absolutely sure that they're in. And they're not. And everybody who thinks they're a Christian will listen to this and say, oh, they're not talking about me because I'm sure that I'm in. But the majority of those people are the people Jesus is talking about because they're deceived. They think they're in, but they're not. And uh, so Dom's going to share his story, and then we're going to go baptize him. And uh, what is baptism? If you study the Bible, don't let your priest or your pastor or your theological background or your denomination force feed you every answer. We all have the same Bible. Go study it. Pray over it. But according to Scripture, this is what baptism is supposed to be. Paul starts out the classic chapter on baptism in Romans 6 with, what shall we say? Should we continue to sin that grace might increase? Some of us thought we could do that. When we got saved, sweet, I'm forgiven for everything. So I can go get drunk and hook up with someone this weekend. And I'm, you know, I get a free pass. Paul says, you're an idiot. Actually, he says, meganoito, which is may it never be. And then he says, you're, he basically says, you're an idiot. He says, you're ignorant. You're ignorant. You have no idea what this whole Christianity thing is all about. This Christianity thing is about getting fixed in your spirit so you don't just have a right standing, but so that you can start functioning rightly before God. Don't you know all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised through the dead, through the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. Basically, he's saying your baptism is your burial service. You realize that you sinned because you were a problem. You sinned because you were a sinner. You weren't right because you were broken. And so you needed God to fix you. So you told God you were broken. You hadn't just done sinful things. You were a sin-producing machine, and you needed your heart fixed. 
And she said, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but I'm also going to choose to die to that person. And so your baptism is your burial service where you're dying to that person that is at odds with God, that's going to argue with God, that doesn't want God's will anymore. And you're going to lay it all down, just like we lay a body in the ground and we cover it with dirt. We put a body down in the water. That's the old you. And then he says, if you mean business and you understood this, uh, what you're saying is there is a new me now full of the Holy Spirit, locked onto God, taking his directives from God with the internal power to do it because God put his Holy Spirit inside of me. But so many folks, they want a savior. They don't want to die. They don't want a Lord. They don't want God giving them direct directives. They want to bargain with God. Okay, how about a 50-50 split? Okay, 60-40, 80-20, but I'm not giving any more than that. Okay, whatever. No, God's like, no, it's 100 nothing. You're, you're my slave. I'm the Lord. He is the Lord. And us, us uh, behaving like uh, we have, we could be able to argue with him or come up with some better plan is just our insanity. So anyway, Dom went through this process, and uh, I've seen real changes in him. He's excited about the word now, and he's, he's uh, just, he actually wants to go into ministry, which is crazy. It's just so exciting. And wouldn't it be great to, to uh, see the Lord really using Dom to, to change people's lives in the future? But um, it was that death piece, that death piece that he was missing. I want a Savior but I don't need a Lord. I don't want a boss. You know, I, I'll, you know, give me, give me a 911 number to call when things get rough, but I can take it and I'll, you know, I'll show up on church. I'll try to throw you a bone every now and then God to keep you happy. God's like, that's not how it works. You need to die so that I can fill you with new life. And until we're there, we're not even living anyway. We're just walking dead men. And, uh, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So, um, Anyway, these are just some of the thoughts that I was having, thinking about Dom. Uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I see that kind of oozing out of his life these days because he is somebody who's really figured out how to tap into the kingdom, even in a good church. He was kind of not putting the pieces together. So I want him to come up here and uh, 